0: Hello, we're back again with The Swamp. Uh, that When I say we, I mean me. This is Russ. Uh, unfortunately, Rui is not going to be here again. Um, I'm flying solo, so no super Rui today, unfortunately. Uh, but hopefully um, things will go okay anyway. I'm going to talk a little bit about, in this coming program, uh, my favourite band, the, the Kinks. And I'm also going to talk about... Uh, Ridley Scott's first film, The Duelists, Uh, in a little segment I'm going to be calling fun things to do with your DVD player. Uh, A couple of other things coming up. Um, Since it's just going to be me, I'm thinking there might be some music happening along the lines of The Kinks and some other artists as we go along. We'll see. um, just Just to break up the monotony of my voice. Should be a good show. Hope you can stick around for it. Swamped. I am so swamped I just can't believe it. it's time for a new adventure. I think you're right. Yeah. A new adventure in pop culture. A new adventure in pop culture. About feeling swamped. All right, now for some new adventures in pop culture. What new adventures have I had recently? Ah, uh, well, is. A number of them, actually. Um, I guess the first thing I'd like to say is a um, little R.I.P. to uh, Glenn Campbell, who died um, during the week, a um, really fabulous singer and uh, guitar player as well. He had a very interesting uh, career, especially in the 1960s. He actually played for the Beach Boys briefly. He was the original replacement to um, Brian Wilson and then of course he recorded some fabulous um songs written by um Jimmy Webb, uh, those classic Jimmy Webb songs, uh especially Wichita Lineman and Galveston and by the time I get to Phoenix. Uh what wonderful songs they were and and his versions uh, are by far, you know, the best. People have tried to do their own versions, but nothing really holds a candle to Glenn's classic version of that song. Uh Oh, man, what a a song that is. Um, Some of those lyrics just just really kill you. Um, And I need you more than want you, and I want you for all time. Wow. Mr. Jimmy Webb um, and Glen Campbell uh, and I guess the annoying thing about that announcement about parole, Glen um, was all the talk was about his um, 1970s hit uh, Rhinestone Cowboy like that was the big thing that he did but it's not it was certainly a big song but uh, he did better ones didn't he um, I have a friend who actually saw him on his last tour he did a final tour a couple of years back because um, he was getting he had developed Alzheimer's um, and a friend, my friend, reported that he was still singing, sounding really fine. He occasionally he might have forgot some of the words, or forgot what he, where he was, or what he was talking about. But um, mostly, he was still together, and it was uh, apparently a very good, good series of concerts. He had his son apparently with him, and I think his wife was there as well. Um, would have been pretty good. I would have loved to have seen them. Um, but yeah, farewell, Glenn. Um, thanks for the thanks for the tunes. Thanks, thanks for the songs. Um, The other thing, uh, music-wise, that I guess happened during the week, um, and it's really off the wall, I guess, I bought an album in an op shop, an LP in an op shop, which is something I do every now and again. I find a nice, interesting album, um, all amongst the Kamal and um, Robert Goulet albums, whatever they are. that's interesting um, and being in an op shop they're cheap and this one I took it home and it, I found out when I got out that it actually has had a bullet hole in it someone had fired what looked like a 22 bullet into um, the middle of the, the label and uh, it was still playable but um, there was this you know there was this tear in, in, in the cover the front and back and uh went right through the the, the damn disc and I guess you're wondering what the record was. It was um, Elton John's album, Uh, Elton John's, uh, a fairly obscure album of his, Lady Samantha, um, which is not an album I've ever seen in an op shop uh, and I was intrigued because I remember seeing that LP back in the day, back in about 1980 when it first came out and um, always wondered uh, what it was like. It's actually an album uh, of B-sides mostly from around 1969 to 1974. Apparently the original version of the album was only... um a cassette or a, an 8-track uh, Which came out in 1974 And then the LP version came out in 1980 And it's a terrific album um, That classic early Elton John sound um, You can't go wrong uh, There's an interesting um, early version of the song Grey Seal on there uh, The song that, that appears on uh, that classic Elton John album "Goodbye Alabic Road um, And a couple of other good ones Skyline Pigeon um, a, re- a remake of that one and the title track's particularly quite nice. And I'll, I think I'll give that a, a spin in a sec. Um, but just uh, I, considering it was a record that um, had a bullet hole in it, it certainly conjured up some. Um, some scenarios for me. I imagine probably, possibly, the person who bought the album took it home and listened to it, and maybe didn't like what they heard. Um, there were a couple of stinkers on the album. I, I would would admit the Christmas B-side, "Ho Ho Ho," who'd be a turkey at Christmas is a bit of a turkey of a song. Uh, maybe listening to that might get you annoyed enough to uh put the album up on a on a wood block or something out in the back and fire a uh, you know fire a bullet in poor old Alton's face I don't know but um it's it's interesting to speculate what that was all about maybe there was a break in a house break in and it was a dramatic moment and, and a bullet went off and who knows um but uh, it's interesting to get an album that's got a bullet hole in it and uh it's a song from that album, uh, Lady Samantha, the title track.
1: you were-
0: One final uh, new adventure in pop culture for me, I, I guess watching TV um, show I watch a, a fair bit uh, to keep informed. Is the Drum, an um, interesting sort of half an hour sort of Talking Heads program. Um, see what what the latest developments are in in current affairs and thought. And um, recently they've, they've actually covered. Um, the phenomenon of um, automation, uh, which is really an old thing when you think about it. it goes right back to the times of the Luddites. Um, there's always been r- phases of automation in society and uh, the, the, I, I guess the new one is to do with computerisation and particularly um, de-skilling. Uh, 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 they're discovering that a lot of men are going to be out of a job. with the, the most recent round of automations that are going on... Um, Possibly, you know, with automatic cars, automatic trucks, and all the rest of that, um, and some people are getting worried, and so that it was big it was big enough of an issue to actually get some bods up there on the drum talking recently, and uh, and I was watching this particular episode; it was pretty interesting. They had um, a, a woman, I forget her name, but I know she was involved with uh, some public affairs institute, and, and her concern was. Um, all these people being put out of a job, um, we need to rethink our ideas of the, the welfare system and that um, maybe we shouldn't be down on, on welfare people so much as, you know, the the whole stigma of dole bludges and so forth, we need to rethink that. And that's something I'm definitely in, in hearty agreement with um, on what she had to say about that. But then, of course, to keep some balance, they had to have um, someone like Greg Sheridan on... Um, Greg Sheridan, oh my God, this sort of, what is he? He's a journalist, I suppose, who has covered a lot of foreign affairs or he's a big fan of Asian politics and uh, Indonesia and so forth and very much your right-wing uh, jack kind of character who's there to give the the neoclassical sort of Rupert Murdoch line on these um, issues and, and the thing he had to say about all that was he made this really um, weaselly right wing slogan comment about how we shouldn't really be um, dictating to the welfare lobby because giving money to the poor the quote is basically um, that it it destroys their soul and uh, um, he managed to get that weaselly little comment in and I have to admit it really rubbed me um, the wrong way I um no one, out, no one on the show actually called him out on it, and they just let it slide. But I've uh, got to say, um, Greg Sheridan makes you know Scrooge look like a, a real humanitarian. I think with comments like that, what a, what an arsehole. what a, what a weasel, what a rat. I mean, my immediate thought was simply, um, I'm pretty sure that being poor or homeless itself would be would be soul destroying enough. Uh, Surely we should be working towards um raising people out of poverty and homelessness first before we start worrying about the, the state of people's souls. What do you reckon, Greg? What do you reckon, Sheridan, you asshole? Yeah. Um so never let it be said that the ABC doesn't give um right wing dickheads a voice. It certainly does. And, and some my opinion, they give too much too much of a voice sometimes. It just really pisses me off. Um Anyway, so I guess that's off my chest. Um, Let's move on to some pop culture and some fun stuff coming up. You're on the swamp. Anyway, let's give this thing a whirl. Give it a whirl. So you're about might, to might. carry on with Lisa Caron? No, Leslie. You never get it right, do you? Leslie Carron. But in fact, I'm not going to carry on with Leslie Carron because I'm going to. Where's the bloody carry on with? No. Um. The swamp. Okay, we're back uh, with Russ. Look, I struggled uh, with working out how to present this next segment. It's on my favourite group, the Kinks. Um, and the reason why, I guess, I'm I'm getting to them after all this time is I picked up in a news agent recently uh, um, I guess a magazine it's under the um, uncut magazine um, l- l- title uh, The Ultimate Music Guide to the Kinks so it's, and purports to tell you everything you need to know and it's not a bad um, little magazine I couldn't resist I generally avoid magazines these days but um, this one was just a bit too tempting it it Includes reviews of every one of their studio albums and uh, then a whole bunch of interviews and, and new articles from the 1960s up to, uh, well, I guess when they broke up in the 1990s. Uh, yeah, it's all cornucopia of delights for a Kinks fans such as myself. A lot of this stuff, um, a lot of the articles and so forth, I'm aware I will have, but the reviews of the albums are particularly. Um, Enlightening, um, some really gave me some really new perspectives on the band and uh, food for thought, basically. But um, I guess part of the problem I had with presenting this is um, I'm assuming a lot of people out there hardly know the Kinks, so I'll have to start, I guess, with some sort of um, overview about who they are. Um, they they are formed around basically t- two brothers, Ray and Dave Davies. Uh, sometimes pronounced Davis, but I'll call him Davies. Um, Ray being the main guy, the main songwriter, the main singer, uh, the main genius behind it. Um, Dave, brother, Younger brother Dave was uh, really well known as for his fairly revolutionary guitar stylings, uh, especially on the early songs You Really Got Me and All Day and All of the Night. He's, the Kinks are sometimes um, credited as being the band that kick started the idea of heavy metal a heavy metal sound with um you know with um really distorted guitar sounds uh, which happened in in those first early songs very unusual for the times um that's part of their claim to fame but um, probably more importantly is um, the songwriting of Ray especially in the 1960s where where they produced a bunch of amazing songs um, some of which you may have heard some of which you you may not be aware of but but they're all kink songs Um, besides the ones I mentioned there's um, Tired of Waiting for You Well-Respected Man Dedicated Followers of Fashion Sunny Afternoon Waterloo Sunsets Days Lola, Ape Man um, and it just goes on and on Um, and the sound obviously changes uh, after those early hits um, sound become, the songs become much more introspective and thoughtful and the music becomes more mellow and gorgeous and uh, yeah, what an interesting band and towards the end of the 60s they're doing what I guess counts as um, concept albums around the time of, um, of the Who's Tommy and I mean, pretty much doing similar things with albums like Village Green Preservation Society and and um, Arthur, and then they really get into their stride with their, with the whole concept album idea uh, in the '70s. A bunch of them, when they changed the record label to RCA, and um, but the hits were very few and far in the '70s for the Kinks um, because um, they pretty much were always were an unfashionable band. Uh, they tend uh, Ray, in particular, as a songwriter, tended to ignore whatever trends were going on. And uh, with that in mind, I'd like to read a, a brief excerpt from this magazine. It's part of the review of their 1979 album "Low Budget," which has some interesting things to say about um, about being up with the times and not being up with the times. I just want to read a a first couple of paragraphs because um, this particular review of this album was, I I thought, particularly insightful so I'll just read it out Um, and we can thank Andrew Mueller here for um, this, this, this quote fabulous stuff Some albums become period pieces because they define their times Others become period pieces because they're defined by their times The Kinks Classic 60s albums are obvious examples of the former 1979's low budget is an example of the latter, to such a degree that it's tough to listen to it without suspecting at least a soupcon of satirical intent, as if Ray Davies was enacting another of his signature burlesques, this time of a 60s British pop pop icon trying desperately to entice the affections of late 70s American New Wave fans. This is not to suggest that Low Budget is a bad record, though parts of it are. It's still less to assert that Low Budget was any kind of failure, at least when measured against its obvious intentions. Discounting compilations, Low Budget remains the kinks' biggest-selling album in the United States. But it is a strange and disconcertingly graceless record. As a '60s pop group, the Kinks gambled and skipped effortlessly ahead of the field. As a late '70s rock band, they huffed and puffed to keep up. Um, there you go. Um, and I can't agree more. Um, low budget at the time when when I when I first listened to it, I wrote loved it because you know it seemed to be so much of its time, as the that opening quote suggests. It's defined by its time. It's very much. late 1970s album, Uh, but the kinks never were about um, following any trends, not until that point, rather. In fact, uh, I would even disagree with uh, Mueller's assertion that that they ever, in fact, really defined their times, um, because they were so out of time, even in the 1960s. um, During the time of flower power they're singing songs about um, working class people and and big black smoke and uh, sort of small things, um, almost kitchen sinks sort of stuff. And I guess for me that's why it was so disappointing for me sort of going into the 1980s, seeing how the Kinks um, w- were developing, changing into this band who were basically um, following and then being influenced themselves by what was going on and basically regurgitating that in, in a fairly on a half-hearted sort of semi heavy metal sound that that ironically they kind of invented in the 1960s and just bringing it back in a more turgid form and that uh, there was the final hit single for them in the 1983 with Come Dancing from their State of Confusion album um and a good song but not not a great song I would say but um finally a big hit for them um and it tended to and it was the last gasp for them, as far as commercial success, after that there was um over ten years of um being in the wilderness again basically um the The kink story pretty much ends with a whimper rather than a bang in about nineteen ninety six with their their last concert um somewhere in europe i think um unannounced, um, or no, it would have been probably somewhere in the United States, um, not really announced as a final concert because no one really knew what was going on. It just sort of, after that, there were no more concerts and, uh, oh, by the way, the Kinks are no more. And it's sad to see, but um, I guess in hindsight, uh, looking back, um... It would have made more sense for them to pull the plug. Probably, uh, in my in my estimation, probably the after the, the album they did uh, that album, they did State of Confusion. The final album, the, the album after that was Word of Mouth, which was the last album they did with um, their third record company, um, Arista. Um, it would have made more sense for that one to be the final one, I guess. In hindsight, I, I like the idea of that because um, I think it was a good album. And uh, the final song, as it turns out, was called Going Solo. And, um, you know, it would have been a nice a nice message, I guess, a nice way to, to end. That, that's my own uh, thought. Um, but that's The Kinks. And uh, before I leave you on, on The Kinks, I, I'll just briefly go before you what in my estimation would be the, the albums to to get for the Kinks if you're interested. Obviously, any kind of compilation would be a good way to start if you're interested. Uh, there's some pretty good ones out there at the moment. Um, there's one, I think, called the Singles Collection, which is a double CD. has got um, pretty much all you need of their singles going from the 60s right up to the the 1980s. Um, everything you need is there pretty much if that's all you, you want. But if you want to skim down in, in below the surface uh, I would suggest albums like uh, the Village Green Preservation Society um, the Arthur album which is also known as the Rise and Fall of the British Empire uh, from 1969 which is actually my personal favourite uh, Kinks album uh, I would also suggest um, Word of Mouth um uh, If you're thinking about trying with their the latest stuff, Um, and for the 1970s, definitely misfits. uh, The 1978 album, quite a quite a terrific little record that. And even earlier, I would I would also suggest um, Muswell Hillbillies from 1971. uh, An interesting sort of almost country flavored album with some really fabulous songs. and a real consistent feel. Um, the Kinks, always a legend in my mind, um, Ray Davies in particular. Um, one time I even got to shake the great man's hand. I was at the front row at, at a, a solo concert he did, I think, in, nine, in 2009, and I shook his hand. He came up t- at the end of the gig and out his hand to us punters, and I, I got the, the hand, one of the handshakes. And uh, always remember that, always, always... Uh, um, cherish that moment, uh, but that 's the kinks that 's my very brief review of the kinks um, worth checking out if you if you want to read up a bit about them as well. I, I certainly would recommend this this uh, magazine I think it 's still out available in the, in the shops at the moment as I speak, but that 's the kinks here on the swamp. I finally got it out of my system. And I'll leave this uh, segment with, with a, a kink's tune, a classic kink's tune. Um, really, they're calling card. It's, it's the, the, the one and only Waterloo Sunset. If you haven't heard it, have a listen, be amazed at uh, what these guys were able to accomplish. Fabulous stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: to the station
0: for fun things to do with your DVD player and uh, as opposed to... Downloads from the internet. Um, the thing with DVDs and uh, and I guess Blu-rays is that you have so many other interesting functions and features on them, and and you should be able to you should actually take advantage of that. You've got commentary tracks. You've got um, different languages that you can access. Um, different language subtitles you can access. Um, and deleted scenes and so forth. And uh, and I liked making use of all these things. Um, one of the things I, I have done from time to time is, is I've um, accessed the the language um, elements in, in, in a film or a TV show and, and I made, made use of these um, recently when I watched uh, one of my favourite films, uh, The Duelists um, film, uh, which was the first film by um, Ridley Scott, uh, that man who went on and, and made uh, Blade Runner and, and Alien and Thelma and Louise and the other alien movies that have just come out uh, the newest one being Alien Covenant amazing filmmaker um, and that first film is, is still probably my favourite one of his uh, The Duel it's 1977 um, set in France, around early the early eighteen hundreds um, based on a joseph Conrad short story about these two uh, French officers in napoleon 's army who constantly dueling each other um, and that 's the basic storyline really uh, but it 's a beautiful film to, to look at um, scott 's background in, in advertising really comes true uh, he 's all about composing. Images and lights, in particular, and some of the images in this film are gobsmacking. But it's much more than just a beautiful film. It's a really fabulous story, really good script, well, well-written by this the screenwriter uh, Gerald Vaughan Hughes. Um, really good, tight script, um, good sharp dialogue, and and the acting is really top-notch. Um, everyone delivers really well, though. At the time, uh, the film. And I guess whenever you, if you watch it the first time, there is a certain, I guess you could call it disconcerting aspect to the the, the casting. Um, The majority of the actors are British. uh, We're looking at Albert Finney, Diana Quick, uh, Tom Conti, Edward Fox. But then you have the two leads who are American actors, Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine, and... uh, They both speak in their American accents and it's a little strange to hear that after you hear these British accents, all all playing French characters, by the way. You can accept it with a British actor somehow when you watch but... Um, the American actors speaking in their American accents does do seem a bit jarring. At least it was certainly for me the first time I saw the film. I know reviewers have complained about that, but I've loved the film so much that I've watched it so many times. I'm so used to, to that anyway. It doesn't bother me. But with that in mind, you could imagine why I, I decided this time, to, just recent, recently, to access the French language dubbing... Feature available on a copy of the the duelets, and I checked it out that way. I watched it basically uh, performed in French or spoken in French with French French accents, people having dubbed their voices on um, and with English subtitles and I watched it that way recently and uh, it was an interesting experience uh, gave a good sense of a better sense of authenticity perhaps, but surprisingly for me, I kept referring back to the original English dialogue and wanting to hear those interesting cadences that they were delivered by the actors i think it's true to say that uh you can't really go past an actual actor's performance not just physical but their vocal performance as well when you when you dub someone else's voice on you you really reduce you reduce the impact somewhat no matter how good uh, the performance is done by w- whatever voiceover artist is used that's what it seemed to me I especially missed some of the uh some of the reading line readings uh by by the character, especially Keith Carradine's, who plays this uh aristocratic soldier character and I always enjoyed um his very very clipped very clean enunciation um in in the film and and I missed that in seeing this um this this new version with this this different this different approach um and I, I guess next time when I watch the film, I will prob- no doubt revert back to the original English language version uh, from this point on. My curiosity satisfied, but um, that was The Duelist. I definitely recommend the film if you haven't seen it. Readily available pretty much um, at DVD stores and so forth. The other, other one that I watched recently was uh, some episodes of TV, The Buffy, The Vampire Slayer my all-time favourite TV show. And it should be yours too, I should think, if you have any good taste. Very interesting to watch Buffy with French language dubbing. Uh, I think they do a really good job and it's really quite enjoyable listening to them speak. How about that? Check this out now. just Here's a brief excerpt from the episode when she was bad.
1: Buffy? Giles? Qu'est-ce qu'il y a? Vous avez l'air inquiet? Les,
0: les vampires, quelque chose se Prepare. Ain't that adorable? Isn't that just fabulous? I love the way that they refer to Buffy as Buffy Um and I really enjoyed um the voice they used for uh the the character of Willow, who is played by Alison Hannigan. Um the, the the actress they got to to do her voice I, I think sounded really spot on. Let's have another listen to the French version of Willow here.
2: Uh, c'était pas Alex. En fait, c'était pas moi. C'était le rêve d'une amie et elle s'en plus. C'est mieux comme ça.
0: Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Um, and I, I also like that they they refer to the character Xander in in the the French version as Alex. I don't know why they do that, but um, maybe for the French it's hard to say Xander. I don't know, uh, but that's what they do. That's what they did, and uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, an interesting thing to do on, on, a, on a wet Sunday afternoon, perhaps. But these are just some of the fun things you can do with the extras on your DVD player or your Blu-ray, indeed. And I recommend you explore them and, and see what other surprises are in store for you. You're on The Swamp with Russ. So we'll be back shortly. Swamp. Swamp. Swamp.
2: Do it like something again. Do it like something again. Do it like something again. Swarm. Do it like something
1: again. Swarm. Do it like something again. Swarm. Do it like something again. Swarm. I'm feeling swarm.
0: Okay, hey there. This is Russ uh, on the way out here, um, and this is actually a strange outro because um, I'm doing this months after the material you just heard, which was uh, my performance of um, the Swamp Podcast number 34, which was done a few months back. Um, You may have noticed that it was a while ago because I was talking about people dying, like Glenn Campbell, which was a little while ago now, and. Um, I mean quite a few people have died since really Um, Malcolm Young, ACDC and as I speak now it's uh, also recently we heard that um, good old David Cassidy passed away um, and even the fabulous Go Between's documentary, right here, is, is already aired, and Ruby uh, and I have already talked about that on podcast number thirty-five. So uh, this is like basically a little extra. This this whole podcast, what this has been, and um, I just thought I'd clue you into that um, in here in this outro. Um, there are a number of things listening back on um, what I what I talked about uh, back then um, that I'd like to add to. If I could, um, if you don't mind, um, that long spiel I did about the Kinks, boy, there's so much more I could say. I could have talked a bit more about their uh, 1970s period, the um, the the rock theatre albums, concept albums they did, Preservation and so forth, and then how much I love that first Pres- Preservation album. Um, oh, so much more. Um and having said what I said about um, maybe in hindsight they should have they should have broke up maybe nineteen eighty four or eighty five thereabouts. Um, there were still some good things on those later albums. There was a song called Lost and Found I really loved that was on um, Think Visual and uh, now and then on uh, the UK Jive and and the Road the the title track fabulous song and uh, there were some pretty good things on that last album as well Phobia. Uh, worth checking out, um, though Phobia was by all means a w- way too many tracks. Um, they could have cut that one back a bit. But yeah, I could crap on a bit more about that, but I won't. Um, yeah, I guess the reason episode 34 got lost was I I knew that we were going to a period where Rui, my, my co-host, was not going to be able to participate for a, a little while, and I didn't really relish the idea of doing a whole bunch of podcasts on my own. It's not much fun when you you got no one to play off of, and it's much more fun to do it that way. I mean, if Rui and Rui, you know, he's a sport. He, you know, he comes in and, and invites me to over his place to do these things when he can, uh, when his family commitments allow it. And I do appreciate that, but uh, does always some it doesn't always work out, um, and sometimes it, no more. No doubt, that will happen again in the future, um, and I will endeavour to, to do these solo podcasts when I have to. But um, most, for the most part, I would prefer not to. I'd rather do them with my mate, Rui. Um, but anyway, this has been Russ on an unusual podcast, I guess you might say. Um, expect uh, Rui and I back for the next one. I know for sure we will be back because we've already done the um, podcast number 36, which was all about my fabulous novel, the Eye of the Time Gate, having got it released, and and my talk about my experience with that that's coming up next Um, and then at some point we might even get around to talking about that (laughs) review of um, the new uh, Blade Runner film and and many things as well but until then uh, this is Russ on the Swamp Um, check you later